Welcome to episode 90 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers. That means we love looking up at the nighttime sky and this podcast is for anyone else who loves going out under the stars. Cold enough for you, Shane? Yeah, I would say this is cold enough. <laughs> um, you know, daytime highs, What? what is it here? I, I looked last night. My wife and I were seeing if we could make plans for the week. And I think the highest temperature was going to be minus 23 in the next seven days with overnight lows much, much colder. The good news yeah. is it's clear, I guess. <laughs> and there's no bugs. No bugs at all. Yeah. So the forecast for this morning was to be minus 51 degrees Celsius, which I actually think is about the same Fahrenheit. Yeah. Yeah. They get like when it gets pretty cold, they, they kind of cross over, they get pretty close and then yeah. they meet again. Yeah. It's within uh, eight degrees. Uh, and, and it is actually minus 56 to the North of here, not too far to the North of here. It's minus 56, which I think is, is about the crossover point or something like that. And minus 55, something like that. Anyway, it's extremely cold. That's too cold to go out in my opinion yeah. and do anything other than leave your home if it happens to be on fire and even then there may be some debate in your mind <laughs> <laughs> well well last night i after supper i ran down to the sidewalk to to bring up our recycling bin and i just had a hoodie on and you know that run took probably about seven seconds and i i didn't i almost didn't make it back <laughs> yeah i mean it can be yeah it can be uh it can be very perilous at these temperatures, this is, yeah, this is no joke, no joke. Even just opening my garage door to throw the recycling in the bin, which is right beside the garage door is, and it's inside. This isn't outside. This is inside, but it's unheated inside. Unheated inside sections of my home are at minus 20. So <laughs> that's yeah. how cold it is. That's yeah. how cold it is. Well, you know, spring cannot come soon enough. I can't wait. Um, if you believe in the groundhog and seeing its shadow and all of that fun stuff, um, sp uh, spring should be here on time. My uh, winter's not getting an extension according to the groundhog. Yeah. Now they don't have a groundhog here in Saskatchewan anymore. I came to, they do everywhere else I lived. I live in Nova Scotia. We had Shubenacadie Sam and Ontario. We had Wyerton Willie and here in Saskatchewan, no, no groundhog. Well, it's too cold for a groundhog. <laughs> it's beyond their range. That's yeah, we, how cold it is here in February. We, we need external consultant groundhogs <laughs> to provide their analysis. They have, uh, we use an elk. <laughs> <laughs> Ernie right. the elk. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, enough of that nonsense. It, it, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's kind of frustrating though, because here we had all that warm weather. And we never saw mm -hmm. a star. Well, now mm -hmm. it's clear. <laughs> and well, you can't, and, yeah, can't do anything yeah. with it. And, and that's the issue here, right? Like, um, you know, a lot of my non-astronomy friends will often say, Shane, you must love the winter. You know, the skies are so crisp and clear. And that's always my response to them is when the temperatures are, you know, decent enough to actually do astronomy, it's cloudy. And yeah. then when it's actually clear enough to do astronomy, it's usually too darn cold to go out and, and, you know, do that stuff. Even I was even considering maybe like a short binocular session, but I just couldn't motivate myself to layer up even for that. So, 
Yeah. And, and it's been windy too. This is the other yeah. thing to note yeah. is, and I actually think Monday and uh, Tuesday are supposed to be quite windy and not get any warmer than minus 25. And uh, yeah, I've been there, you know, we don't have a proper, uh, well, anyway, you, you, sometimes you have the odd air gap in, in your house for uh, ventilation or whatever. And I was thinking a ceiling line because if, uh, if you get any kind of air current going, I mean, you could uh, blow a window or something. We actually had windows break in our house a couple of years ago where we're, we actually have the windows at the window replacement place now, uh, just waiting for warm weather to get them, to get them replaced finally. So hmm. yeah, that's, that's what we're dealing with. That's what we're dealing with. So we didn't go out last night. We watched uh, the movie, The Dig on Netflix, which is about archaeology or or excavation, I guess, mm-hmm. and uh, in in England, where this uh, this guy uh, Brown he he unearthed this old uh, Anglo-Saxon ship. Uh, but this guy was also uh, an amateur astronomer with the uh, BAA, and uh, actually wrote a put together like a star atlas and an introductory guide uh, to the night sky and that sort of thing. So it was it was kind of neat because there was a little bit of mix of of archaeology and astronomy, which is of course how I get into um, astronomy was was by going to an archaeological dig and realizing I wasn't that interested in the archaeology and and the uh, the professor who was training me was also into astronomy and I, I tend to pick up that interest over over the archaeology so I was like oh that's kind of cool um, decent movie on Netflix now <laughs> yeah it caught my eye I you know I have a, a real interest in archaeology as well um, I'll have to I'll have to add that to my queue yeah. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. Archaeology is much better in, uh, in 30 minute to one hour formats than it is in uh, six week long, uh, 10 hour day digs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, it, the highlight reel is usually better than the real. Yeah. <laughs> put it to you like that. Yes. Yes. Um, so my chair arrived, my observing yeah. chair. Finally, yeah, you sent that photo. looks looks good, sturdy. Looks, uh, yeah, it looks sturdy. Yeah, it's it it is very sturdy. So with observing chairs, there's there's one I forget. They have like a funny, like phrase to it, and it 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 has the word dump and ground in it. And uh, I, I should have looked it up, but anyway, it's like a pretty inexpensive chair that people tend to get for observing, but just because of the way the you need to have a, ch- a seat on the chair that can be adjusted to various heights. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's really only a couple different ways of doing this. Uh, I think yours has the slot uh, mm-hmm. method where you kind of, it kind of slots in and then you can kind of pull it out and then change position on the slots is like yep. in the, like there's like a board with all these like holes, narrow holes drilled in it. And then you kind of just pull the seat out and then push it in. That's how yours works, isn't it? Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll send a photo. Like I'll tweet out a photo of both of our chairs. So people get an idea of what we're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And then yeah. Uh, the other method, which, which is a little bit more popular, but a little bit more precarious is that the, the chair itself kind of, the seat kind of slides up and down on either one or two rungs. And, uh, and these ones tend to dump people. So the downside of the slotted one, so basically Having an observing chair is, in my opinion, it's it's almost like a necessary accessory, although it's kind of like the last thing most people ever buy. And in fact, I've had an observing chair in the past, but it wore out a few years ago. And as I've been slowly getting some new equipment over the past couple of years, it's, it has been very much like the last thing I'm upgrading. But 
but really, you know, once you start using them again, like I was using yours in the fall and I was like, yeah, I got, I just got to get one. And uh, anyway, so these ones that don't slot, they ride up and down. But um, if, if they're on metal, like the inexpensive ones are metal and you're out and the temperature really changes, like it tends to do where we live, you end up getting uh, dumped on the ground a few times a year. And that could be dangerous. Like our ground here is very hard, rocky and uneven in places. And like, probably you're eventually going to break an arm, <laughs> like just straight goods. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, you just don't want that either. Like if, especially if you fall into your telescope or something like that. Ugh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I had one that was kind of like that and it was such that my friend built it for me and it actually worked well um, but it had no backrest. So it was very much a mm -hmm. stool. Like you were just like on the, on the chair side. So it worked well, but you know, it, it would give you maybe another hour of observing. Whereas I think this new chair, you, you could observe at least another couple hours using it. And, um, and if it started to slide, you could kind of feel it and you were not fully balanced on the seat. So you're always balanced on your legs. So Although it, it helped, you were never really like a hundred percent, um, like, you know, taking the weight off your feet and, and it was good. Like, I mean, really it was very good. It just, uh, you know, eventually kind of got worn and, uh, you know, and, and it wasn't, uh, like a, like a design by, by, you know, a professional chair company like this one is. Um, mm -hmm. which kind of sounds like a, a weird thing to say, but anyhow, so this one has these, these rungs on either side. It was actually, and so this chair that I got is a Burlaback Hydra two. And there was a couple things. So it said it was about eight pounds and I thought, oh, that's not so bad. And I debated whether getting the bigger one, which is about 11 pounds. Yeah. The Sharon. I can't imagine. Yeah. I can't or imagine that one would be a lot heavier. Is yours a, is, did you get a Burlaback one? Yeah. Yeah. Mine's Burlaback. I, I got the Sharon. Um, just, uh, I'm on their website right now. Where the heck are the chairs? Yeah. You got to like under astronomy. Yeah. but anyway, this chair is probably more like 11 pounds. Like probably the frame is eight pounds. And then when you put the seats, a couple pounds. So I was kind of surprised it was that much heavier. Um, oh. and it really like snaps in place. So so it's good insofar as this, I don't think this chair would ever dump anybody. I think it's like, it's totally safe on, on the downside. Like I can totally see not being able to uh, compact it. Like if we're out observing, like at the end of the night, I don't think I would, I would probably just have to throw it in, in the car, like as is, which, which would be a bit of a, a pain in the butt, but uh, I don't, I don't think it will compact down very easily. Maybe, maybe after some use it will, but uh mm but it wasn't, wasn't really that easy to kind of, you kind of got to squeeze together the uh, timbers and, and then fold it and that. And, uh, and then the way the chair seat actually sits on it, you have to, you have to do quite a bit of work to get it to, to move in any, any direction, which is good because you're sitting on that thing. It's re you really don't want it going anywhere when you're sitting on it. So yeah, it'll be fine. I wouldn't want to move it around too much. Um, you know, while I was observing with it and then probably, yeah, I'm, I'm sure I can fit it in like my back seat, like fully, uh, sort of fully extended and whatever, uh, shouldn't be a problem. So it is one of the, it is their smallest or one of their smaller chairs. So that's yeah. not, uh, that's not too bad, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm glad about the small one. Um, yeah. they, if they I like three, it, I'm, 
Go ahead. No, no, finish up. I was just going to say, if I really like it, I might eventually buy the bigger one to have in my yard or something. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they have three chairs. So I have the Sharon, which is like its own unique design. It's different from the other two. So you have the, the Hydra 2, which is the small one. And then the yep. larger one is the Nix 2, which is the same style as yours. It's just taller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have a footrest for your chair. Whew. And it's fully adjustable height too. <laughs> nothing yeah. but luxury. Nothing, nothing but. Um, the, the seat is nice and large. Um, you know, and it's very comfortable. And it has a bit of a back on it. And uh, anyway, like it's not inexpensive, but, uh, you know, it feels like, like we were surprised how heavy it was. Like my wife and I opened up and we're like, this is like heavy. Like you look at the picture and you think, oh, this, this can't weigh anything, but it's heavy. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's probably at least 10 or 12 pounds. And then uh, when you, when you're sitting on it, it's just stable. Right. But you know, like you want, (laughs) you don't want to go tumbling to the ground in the dark and you want that stability. And that's kind of what, what you're paying for. I'm not sure how they made this chair so heavy. Like looking at that, it just, and, and really like when you get it, it doesn't look like when we opened up the box, I'm like, oh, there's nothing to this. And then you grab it and you're like, oh my, like, what's it made out of lead? It's, it's nuts. Yeah, they, they, they use good hardwoods, you know, and a harder wood will be denser and, you know, more weight. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, part of the Burlaback uh, reputation, you know, you're getting really good quality stuff, whether it's a chair or I think they're more well known for their tripods. They, they have a whole whack of, uh, tripods for photography and astronomy that, you know, I think most people would say are probably the best tripods in the game. If you want a wood tripod anyway, uh, you know, with maximum stability. Uh, and the nice thing is within their tripod lineup, you know, you can pretty much pick like a tripod for whatever scenario you want. Um, you know, whether you want maximum stability, maximum height, um, you know, the, the list goes on of, of potential wants you, you may have in a tripod and, and, you know, guaranteed they'll have it for you. Yeah. So I gotta say, you know, um, as far as meeting the, you know, as far as what Burlaback has done here, this is my first Burlaback product. Uh, I've purchased, I, I don't even know that I've seen much of their stuff in person. I've looked at it a lot online because, uh, and not that I, I rate form, uh, highly over function. Their stuff is, is rather attractive. I, I think like they, they do a good job on, on appearance as well. Um, but I would say, yeah, this is definitely overbuilt, um, for what I thought I was getting. I thought I was getting just like an overpriced chair, but once you actually get it in hand, you start looking, you're like, okay, like you kind of got what you pay for. You could see how someone could take this and knock it off and sell it for a hundred bucks or something, but you know, it would be pretty, uh, it would be pretty shaky, but this thing is like, honestly, it's more, it's more stable than my, like we have wooden kitchen chairs that are all one piece that we didn't put together anything. They're like made and it's just as it's, it's actually more solid than uh, like a pretty good standard, totally wooden, um, you know, well-made kitchen chair. So that's, that's kind of surprising in like a small format that can be adjusted out in the field. So uh, I, I think they, they sort of hit it out of the park as far as safety and actual usability goes. I think the, the collapsibility. Yeah. Like I guess if I was going on like a, a big trip with uh with my, with my wife and we want to break it down. That's probably the only time I would, I would probably break it down. And it's not really that big. 
So anyway, I'm sure, I'm sure I'll get used to it with time. And, uh, I just kind of had hoped I'd really be able just to kind of fold. It just looks like it would fold up so simple and just, you just throw it in the vehicle and may, maybe it would, you know, with some use. Um, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like, at least the first time I was like, Oh, like, I'm just going to basically not take the seat off of it. Cause I don't want to, like, I couldn't imagine being out there like, you know, and of course it's like minus 30 while I'm playing with it. I couldn't imagine like, Oh, I'll just like take the seat off. Well, that just took five minutes. You know, like, no, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not taking five minutes to put a seat on or off in, in the cold weather that we have. So, uh, yeah. my long-term plan, I think I was mentioning to you is to maybe get one of their tripods. And this, this kind of makes me really want to get that, um, get one of their tripods sooner, sooner than later, just because uh, now that I kind of recognize their, their build quality, and, uh, and then as spring approaches, I'd like to have a more portable tripod, um, for my hundred millimeter than, than I have right now. That would be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I briefly, I briefly owned a Burlaback tripod and it was That's right. outstanding. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was really yeah. good for what it was. Um, but it wasn't what you were looking for. No, it wasn't what I thought I was buying. So it went back to the original owner. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I say, for what it, for, for what it was intended for, it was really, really good. And, um, it had the darker, I don't know what finish, maybe a walnut finish. Yeah. Um, and it was just beautiful. Like, you know, this is, uh, this is something that my wife wouldn't complain about, you know, not that she complains very much about my astronomy stuff, but occasionally I have too much of it out, say in the living room <laughs> and, and, um, uh, you know, I need to clean it up, but you know, this you know, the, the Burlaback stuff is like furniture, you know, you can put it in your room and, you know, have it as something to admire. Yeah. <laughs> at least, yeah. at least in my opinion. Yeah. I think Jess is easier going than Rebecca because Rebecca said this isn't staying in the living room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's not happening. All right. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. So, so far the Burlaback stuff gets a thumbs up. I think that tripod that you got, it was a good tripod, but because it wasn't the model you thought you were getting, it was too short. Is that, am I remembering that correct? It was too no, short. No, no, the height was really nice. Um, oh, okay. It was just, I, so their, their top end tripod, like their most stable tripod is known as the planet. Mm-hmm. And it's quite expensive actually. Um, so I thought that I was buying a planet tripod and the price was quite appropriate or the price was actually pretty good for a planet tripod, which yeah. is why I thought, yeah, I'll do this. Um, I got it and it became apparent to me very quickly that that was not a planet tripod. Um, so I posted some pictures on cloudy nights. Some of the, the folks there confirmed that it was not a planet because the other thing with Burlaback is they don't, they, they just stamp Burlaback on their stuff and they don't stamp. The right. Model. Yeah. So it wasn't overt, you know, what I had in my hands. Um, so anyway, with what I believe I had, the, the used price that I paid was like $50 less than the, the new price yeah, uh, or something like that. And, and like for the new price, I could have got a tripod slightly taller, which would have been my preference anyway. There you go. Yeah. Um, so then I just, I contacted the person I bought it from and said, Hey, uh, you know, I think there's been a misunderstanding here and, and he was really good about it. So yeah, I, I shipped it back and, you know, it was all, all taken care of, which was nice. But, um, like I say, while I had it, it, it was a really, you know, like I, you know, I had it for a couple of days. <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah. I remember you sent me a photo of it and it was, uh, it was a very attractive, uh, tripod. So, so yeah, I think, uh, that'll probably be, 
in my future, I'll, I'll get one just, just for the hundred millimeter. Um, yeah, should be, should be good. Um, I saw your photos of, was that, that was just this week. You sent me the photos of your, your mini Borg set up. Yeah. Yeah. I tweeted that out. Um, last week when we recorded the podcasts, you mentioned, uh, sending a photo of my little Borg with the delight eyepiece in it for some, uh, indoor window observing. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, yeah, I sent that out. Uh, it's a nice little setup. And, you know, I never mentioned this before, but um, through my various Borg buying transactions online, you know, collecting all this used gear, um, I, I, I like one of the packages that I bought, it came with the 1.4 times uh, variable teleconverter by Borg. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's very similar to the Q extender that we have for our Takahashis. <laughs> so um, you have that on the little Borg? Yeah, I do. <laughs> um, what, what's really cool about it is it like, it's got this tube. I, I should show it to you. Um, you just pull out the tube to um, extend it and it's got little markings on it for, for the focal length of your telescope. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you have a, like, I think it's uh, variable from 300 millimeters to like 640 or some weird Whoa. number like that. Huh. Um, and so I, put it into the little board cause it's uh, it's an F five. So then this extends it out to like, uh, I don't know, close to F an F seven, something okay. like that. Yeah. yeah. F eight, something like that. All right. And um, flattens as well. Flattens the field. Now I really haven't done much playing around with it. Cause again, like, you know, what observing are we really doing? And, and yeah. my windows are kind of dirty and I, you know, I'm not a fan of critical observing behind, you know, two or three panes of glass. I'm not, I'm not sure how many are in my, my windows, but um, I'll, I'll test it out, you know, when things warm up and, and see, see what I think of it. But yeah, it, I think it's more intended for photography, but it, you know, it can be used visually. And a, a lot of, uh, folks online, um, talk about it being like a real high end piece of glass, uh, that, that they use in other telescopes too. Like if you get, you know, the Borg adapters or whatever, you can end up putting this thing on any telescope. Yeah. So, so it's anyway, like a, that's in the photo. Yeah, it's it's a fifty millimeter. Basically, it's a, it's a finder. It's like a crazy finder scope that you can put regular diagonals and eyepieces and and such in. And yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. Um, I got a couple eyepieces this week. Um, yeah. these were uh, these were old new stock that I purchased from that okay. telescope store that's going uh, out of business uh, over in British Columbia. Anyway. What? quite a variance in focal lengths. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a six millimeter and a 35 millimeter. So I actually bought, so I always wanted to get a six millimeter, one of these six millimeter, 66 degree eyepieces. And they, they're made by SV Boney. They're made by Skywatcher. Like they're just probably all mm -hmm. made the same company and just branded mm -hmm. Skywatcher SV Boney. Um, I forget who, I think Orion had them for a while. Maybe they still do. Anyway, they've been branded, you know, sort of a million different ways. Um, but they're, they're quite inexpensive and they're, they're, they're good. Like they're, they're especially like good sort of starter eyepieces if you're just getting going or, um, the reason why I'm getting them is for public observing. So I bought the six millimeter because on my, uh, on my hundred millimeter refractor, which I'd like to do, uh, public outreach with, it'll give around about like 120 power or something like that. And that's a really nice power for. Uh, people to look at planets through uh, if they're a yeah. member of the public. And then um, it has good eye relief. So you can actually use glass as well. You're, you're mm. looking through it. 
and it has a 66. I don't know how accurate that is, but it's 60 something degree field of view. So it's pretty wide. So you can wear glasses. It's pretty wide. And I have a tracking mount so I can put the object in the middle. So I think, think the edges, I've heard reports that, it, you know, the edges aren't perfect, but, mm-hmm. you know, with the tracking mount, now that I have, uh, it will, it will keep it centered. So when, when we are showing people the moon or planets or whatever, um, that eyepiece will be, will be just great for them. And then I think I only paid, oh, maybe 20 or 25 bucks for it. And these, these traditionally sell for about $30 American. So um, I think it ended up being like 40% off, uh, like new pricing. Uh, so that was, that was pretty good. And it's, it's brand new. It's just older. It's like probably eight or 10 years old, it just was in a warehouse somewhere. Uh, so that's totally mm-hmm. fine. And then I bought, I was always curious about these since they came out is um, one of the big Honkin Orion. I think they're called a wide view eyepiece. Okay. And they um, sell is it, black it with red. It, no, it's black with no. some blue, although I thought it had more blue than it does. Mostly it's just black. Um, and it's a great big two inch eyepiece. It's pretty much the same size as like I'm looking at my Pentax 40XW. It's almost the same size as that, but it weighs like, I don't know, maybe five or six ounces. Doesn't weigh that much. Only has three or four elements, I think. And uh, it's a very bare bones, big wide field eyepiece. Um, but that said, it's just a very large, big, bare bones, uh, wide field eyepiece. And I have, uh, my telescopes like F seven and a half. So it's not a super fast telescope. And, uh, and again, I, I wanted this for that telescope. And, uh, you know, once we are able to do public observing again, I think, I think our lineups really what, what I actually think will happen is, as as we get into not this summer, but next summer, and I'm, I'm teaching these classes and I'm getting, you know, typically these classes are limited at 25 and usually I get between 13 and 16 people. Like, you know, I maybe get half or so, uh, if mm-hmm. I'm lucky, um, mm-hmm. you know, I get 13 or 14 people maybe. And, and I like that number. I am totally happy with that number. Uh, but now I'm getting like 43 people. And I think probably once we get out of, uh, you know, these, these pandemic uh, restrictions, I think that we'll have a lot of people coming out to our astronomy event. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's so many people that have taken up the hobby for the first time, or maybe got back into it. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of folks that are sort of chomping at the bit to not just do observing, but to, you know, have some connections with other astronomers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the great things about observing with other people, it's not just like the social aspect, but it's the, Hey, come look at what I've got in my yeah. telescope. And then you get to not just experience other objects, but also other equipment, right? Yeah. Um, like I had never looked through a refractor until you moved here and, and you were coming out with your Borg. Yeah. Um, and then the rest is history. You know, I fell in love with the refractor views and, and here we are today. And that's how I primarily observe. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I, I love that aspect of it. You, you kind of, in a way, get to test drive uh, other equipment when you observe yeah. with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is like one of the number one questions I've had is like, when can we come and go observing with you? And it's like, we can't do that. Right. I mean, we've been told, or at least, at least I, I think I passed along to you. We, we were actually told like our little group by the government of Canada that we can't do this. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so through parks Canada, cause we go and do work with, uh, with parks Canada, which is an extension of, of the government of Canada. We love parks Canada and certainly don't want to do anything to, uh, 
to jeopardize that relationship. So uh, we were kind of told, yep, put the brakes on this year and, uh, you know, go do something else. So, uh, but I think once, once we get out of these pandemic restrictions, you know, if we were doing, I don't know, two or 300 people at our Parks Canada events, I, I could easily see us doing 500, you know, yeah, I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's going to be uh, likely. I, I just, I, I think that will be like so many people are, are so interested. So that should be fun. Anyway, so so I got this 35 millimeter. I'm really looking forward uh, to getting that in the scope and trying to do it. I think it should be. I think it should be totally fine at seven and a half f seven and a half, and uh, you know should give a nice uh, you know wide field of view. And and then you know the one thing that I was always kind of reluctant about is if I set up and then you know you get small children they come up and you know of course they want to touch and poke everything and you know, they, they, of course, put their finger right on the lens. And, and you know, I, I always trying to hide my cringe, right? And it's like, oh, I, I should just be using a more inexpensive eyepiece instead of letting everybody go and, and look through the expensive ones. I guess, you know, and when, when I used to do public observing years ago, I, I didn't do as much, first of all. And a friend of mine and I, we kind of had a little bit of a thing. And I, and I think you guys are kind of the same way where, we, you know, we're not... Uh, we're not going to kind of hold back like, Oh, we're not going to let, you know, you know, people uh, not look through the good stuff. Um, but then, then eventually like, you know, I'm kind of worried, like maybe one of my pieces get damaged and now it's like, mm, I am doing a lot more of it now than I used to. So it used to be like maybe once or twice a year. And now it's more like, well, I'm doing my class and that's like, I try to have at least a few sessions and then we're doing a few sessions in the grasslands and then usually do another couple sessions and probably on average another session. So it ends up being like between six and sometimes as many as 12 public sessions a year. And it's like, well, that's a lot more than one or two. So I think with one or two, I can kind of, you know, your chances of getting somebody that does something to an eyepiece is pretty low. And then, um, Oh, the other person I talked to one day was David Levy is a few years ago and, he was like, yeah, he learned his lesson too. And I kind of, <laughs> he had a, he had a story about somebody actually uh, kissing with lipstick on his uh, Nagler 31 millimeter uh, lens, what? which, which isn't great for a whole, like, I mean, for that person, well, that's not really hygienic. And then, and then the other thing is, is that, yeah, it kind of, it messed up his eyepiece. So he had to go and get it professionally cleaned. So that wasn't great. Um, so things like that can happen, right? Just like people, people sometimes do funny things in the dark at night. And yeah, anyway, then, then our equipment is uh, compromised or you have to get her, you know, serviced. And so I'm just trying to, I'm thinking I'm doing this and I'm doing it for long enough and I've been pretty lucky. So if I'm like, well, you know, I think I've just got to, got to get something. So I did. Um, I was looking at some other eye pieces. Like I sent you a list of all the things I want. Yeah. Yeah. Just a few things. Eh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I sent Shane a list of, I, you know, I'll tell you, I had an opportunity to buy a 5.2 millimeter Pentax XL, which was always on my list to buy. It was actually Alan Dyer's had the opportunity to buy his and I passed on it because I actually, I think I'm going to get the five millimeter uh, Nikon NAV that I borrowed from you last year. I think I'm going to buy that eyepiece eventually because I think that's the best eyepiece that has good eye relief that I've ever looked at the planets through, uh, at least with my 100 millimeter. And my 100 millimeter is my planetary scope. And I'm like, that eyepiece just works so well in it. It doesn't, and, and you're right, like we've talked about this eyepiece quite a bit. In some other telescopes, it doesn't work as well. You get a little bit of blackout or whatever, but you know what? In my 100, it works perfectly. 
and that's my planetary scope and that's a planetary eyepiece. So, so what? Like that's, that's the eyepiece to get, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for that. And I think I'm going to get like a Masayama 32 millimeter. I think I'm going to get that eventually too, because it's small and lightweight. And then, then I think I want to get a 17 millimeter of some sort or a 22 Nagler mm-hmm. or something like that. That's kind of the, the last one, but, uh, yeah, but the, anyhow, the Masayama intrigues me yeah, uh, because of its lightweight. But yeah. I've just read too many stories about the edges not being, you know, super crisp that it falls off, uh, you know, in the outer parts of the field. Yeah. Um, and I don't think it's too far off from the panoptic, the 35 millimeter panoptic in terms of weight. No. Um, so I'm kind of go back and forth between those two because the 31 Nagler is just too heavy. Like it's a wonderful eyepiece, but I hate the weight of it. So here's, Here's why I think I'm going to get it is like the different optical aberrations impact people differently, right? We're all Mm -hmm. different. And uh, so I own a a clone of the Massiama 32. I own the wide scan 330. And so in that eyepiece, what they did is they stopped it down to, I think it's like 75 or 76 degrees. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's got a narrower field of view. It says it's, I really, I think it's like a 30 millimeter, 80 degree uh, eyepiece. And, and it doesn't fall off as much at the edge, but you get like seagulls in a scope faster than about F5. Yeah. But at F5, it works okay. Now, compa- I compared that eyepiece to your Nagler and there's no comparison. The Nagler is a million times better, but the wide scan three is way more usable. And I've just, I've actually used it an awful lot in recent years just because it's lightweight and it works really good. And even compared to my 40 millimeter Pentax, which is another big heavy eyepiece that I have to uh, adjust my scope when I use, unless, unless I'm just going to use that eyepiece all night, I want to have a, a really good 30. So I think we're going to get the Massey. I mean, because it's, it's not that expensive as eyepieces because expensive, but it's about half or actually I think it's, yeah, it's about half the cost of a Nagler and um, it's lighter weight. And I kind of just want to see how bad that edge is beyond uh, the same uh, sort of field as, as the, uh, as the 30 that I have already. And, you know, the other thing is, is like now this, I think the big part of it is that I have an F seven and a half telescope. Well, my 30 wide scan, I think it works perfectly fine at F six. Like I really do. And so I'm like, well, if I'm up another uh, 1.5 F stops, I'm kind of hoping that maybe, the edge uh, at seven and a half on the Masayama would be about the same as, as the edge on the 30 that I have right now at F59, which is really what I'm using it at. So it's, it's a pretty significant increase mm-hmm. in focal ratio um, while at the same time getting uh, a, a bit of increase in the field. So I think that that's my plan, but uh, it'll have to wait until after our SP season. Cause I got to make at least uh, one more contribution there, you know? So, <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. That eyepiece, like that Masuyama, uh, what is it? 32 or whatever? 32. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm really intrigued by it. So I hope you get it. I would love to look through it. Um, because yeah, if it works in f seven point five, I'd probably end up picking one up as well. Yeah, because uh, yours I've always is, been intrigued. Yeah, yours is f f seven and a half. Uh, yeah, as well. Yeah. So on, on my ahead. list is is the uh, thirty two millimeter tack 
uh, Abby Ortho. I'm quite intrigued by that one. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly not a wide field, but I'm, you know, I, I really, really love the purity and the crispness of these simple eyepieces. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a 32 millimeter ortho is like, there's not much, out, I, I don't know if there's anything out there in that focal length um, that's been produced maybe a long time ago, but I think, you know, in that focal length, you're looking more at Erfels and Kellners. Um, yeah. I don't think it, too many, it's pronounced many awful. <laughs> I think it's pronounced awful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, and I uh, uh, I bought a Teleview inch and a quarter mirror diagonal. Um, it's on its way. Nice. Which, which means the Takahashi prism is probably on its way out. So I don't oh, need really? three. Well, so I bought huh. the Takahashi prism because um, at that time I was still thinking I might build a binoscope with the two Borgs. Um, yeah, yeah. But that's off the table now. Um, and I have the, the Bader T2 Zeiss prism, um, yeah. which is amazing. I love that one. Uh, I, I don't really need two prisms in my, you know, in my accessories bag. Yeah. And um, uh, I want to do a little bit of testing with a mirror diagonal because, you know, prisms work better in longer focal lengths, or at least, you know, that's what I read. So like mm. anything F7 or, or, or higher, yeah. Um, prisms usually have less, uh, scatter and, and just better light control. Um, yeah. but it, you know, on anything less than that, like, uh, on a faster telescope, I've always read, you want a mirror diagonal. Um, and I have a, a two inch teleview diagonal and the ergonomics of that thing are phenomenal. You know, oh, the, really? the thumb screw is yeah. the best I've ever used, um, oh, okay. for, for tightening up your eyepiece and the inch and a quarter has the exact same mechanism. Um, so anyway, uh, this was a, a used item, so I got okay. a pretty good deal on it. It should arrive this week. And, All right. Uh, you know, excited to try that out if it ever warms up. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure it will eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of speaking of sort of older and one and quarters and more simple designs, I, I was looking at maybe getting a, uh, like a 21 millimeter to put in my, uh, 1.6 Barlow. Um, almost like permanently while I'm working on this project on the web uh, from TW Webb's uh, Celestial Objects for Common Telescopes. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so he, yeah, so he lists all these doubles and then sometimes he makes some interesting notes. And so I kind of make, I made up this criteria for the notes and I'm, I'm slowly working through it. It's actually, because I was like, I wonder if anybody's really kind of gone through some of his observations before. And I, I know they have. Um, there's a guy... Um, who writes for the Deep Sky Observer on the Web Society? I was talking to Mark Bratton about him. And uh, anyway, so so Webb identified a lot of asterisms and in interesting fields, um, but it doesn't really seem like anybody's gone through and and kind of pulled them all out and sort of figured out the right modern day coordinates and like made it up. And it is a royal pain doing it. So I've actually enlisted the help of of a friend of mine on the observing committee who, who knows a lot more about um, like a lot of double old double star designations, like really old stuff. And so he's kind of helped me sort through some of them because sometimes he'll say, Oh, this double star and then has an interesting field or whatever. And I'm like, well, you know, that might be cool to look at. Like I'll, I'll try to figure out what the field is using planetarium software. And I also have that old Beckver Beckville's um, Atlas of the heavens from like, the fifties or sixties. And I think that's about when around when, uh, Margaret Mayall, uh, made up the uh, last edition of uh, web celestial objects for common telescope. So, 
anyway, um, that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm, what I'm working on, but I thought, well, I should figure out what his field is. So I figured out what his field is. He was, he was using a 3.7 inch refractor, which is like around like 95 millimeter, which is pretty close to my hundred millimeter. Um, but his focal ratio, I think was like F 16. He says F 16. And then in some places he said it was five and a half feet or five feet. But anyway, I think it was roughly F 16, but he actually ends up listing the power like later on in the, like when you're reading his notes and then, uh, those are, uh, powers of around like 64. So he was probably getting about, uh, maybe three quarters of a field. So I was trying to determine what would give me, uh, an analogous, uh, magnification and field of view. So I think if I get like about a 21 millimeter, uh, Edmund, uh, RKE and put that in that Barlow, that will give me a very similar power and field to what he had so that, you know, I can hunt them down with a wide field ocular and then swap this in and say, all right, like, what was he looking at? You know, like, you know, and have, have generally, I think within, within 10%, I'd have his field of view and magnification and within again, 10%, uh, the, the aperture and light collecting. Um, so it would be, it would be, uh, just, just an interesting project, uh, to work through really with no, scientific <laughs> benefit just for my own like kind of curiosity i've had that book for a long time and you know i've always looked at those comments and thought oh it'd be cool to kind of figure that out but there's no way you can't take the book i mean i suppose you could but it would take i mean a lifetime to go through it and say okay what's this field figure it out in the field and then observe it well you kind of got to figure out all the fields for for these several objects and then go out and observe those so anyway I spent uh, two days and, and it took me probably six hours to get through, you know, two or three constellations. So it's going to be a long, a long process, I think. And uh, wow. yeah. yeah, interesting. Yeah. You know, the 21 millimeter RKE is actually in stock, which is sort it, of a rare. It is. Yeah. yeah I, was look, I was looking at it. It ever is today. Since, <laughs> yeah. Ever since Bill Paolo only did his cloudy nights thread on, on the RKE eyepieces, I think there's been a big run on them. Mm. And uh, they've been hard to find in stock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've used the 28 millimeter before and it's it's interesting. It's good. It has great eye relief, but there's no like eye cup or anything and it needs like an eye cup or something. It, so it's, kinda... it's, yeah, it's the you... most unique eyepiece ever. I have the 28 yeah. And, and the eye relief is huge. So like you, like you, you position your eye quite a ways back because otherwise you, you know, you end up with the blackouts. Yeah. Um, but, but like the edge of the eyepiece is almost invisible. So it's like, it, it's hard to explain, but it's almost like when you're looking down at this thing, you're, you're looking at like a TV screen almost like it just looks surreal. Like it, it's such a interesting presentation of the sky. Uh, you yeah. just have to use it to, to, to really understand it, but, um, very unique eyepiece. Some love it. Some hate it. Um, yeah. I, I don't mind it. It, it, it seems to work better on my, um, what is it? My F, my F 16 or F 15, uh, Tasco 10 TE, um, the, the slower focal lengths, it seems a little pickier with eye placement. Yeah. Well, sounds good. Well, we should run because, uh, we're recording our next show here in a few minutes and Dave Chapman is going to be joining us shortly. So unless you have anything quick to add, Shane, we should, uh, cut this one, start the next. (laughs) Let's wrap it up. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, 
Or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.